podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 8th of July. We're brought to you by epillindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, use your Now TV outside the UK if you're blocked from doing so by Brexit. Also keeps your data safe. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code EPLVPN you get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks. European Championship final is set. England will face Italy. England beat Denmark 2-1 last night in the semi-final. A disappointing game from the Danes, in my view. I really hope that what we would see was them fly out and really take the game to England. But they chose to be more conservative. They chose to sit in. They invited England on. And for 15 minutes, England looked very good. They created some chances. They were getting into positions of of good opportunities. But they didn't break down the Danish team. And then we had an incident where Calvin Phillips makes a mistake and then Pickford makes a mistake and almost lets the Danes in. It ends up with a corner. For about 20 minutes, England turned into a mess, a quivering mess. Pickford was all over the place. The defence was shaky. The midfield couldn't get anything going. The attack looked disjointed. And the Danes came on and looked really impressive. The 20-minute spell from... It could have been a bit, little bit less. From that Pickford error, up until a couple of minutes before England scored, Denmark were brilliant. On the ball and off the ball. High tempo, high aggression, moving the ball quickly, winning it back as soon as you lost it, leading England into traps, welcoming the cross-field ball to then intercept it and go the other way. They went 1-0 up through a Damsgaard, a Damsgaard free kick, 25 yards out, one of those knuckleball shots. Pickford maybe should do better. It's quite central, but it's an incredible, incredibly well-struck ball. It's a great goal, and, and Denmark deserved it. At that point, Denmark deserved to be in front. England had had some half chances in the early phase, not gotten the job done. Denmark, when they took their op- when they had their opportunity, took it and went ahead. And I'd asked yesterday what would happen if England went behind. What would they do in the face of adversity? Would they be able to get back up and go at them? And the answer was a resounding yes. With Calvin Phillips taking control of midfield, single-handedly, I might add, because Declan Rice had a poor game, 
Phillips decided that he wasn't going to be bullied. Because what Heusberg and Delaney do is they bully opposition midfields. They use their physicality, their relentless energy, and they just outwork you and bully you into submission. Well, Calvin Phillips isn't going to be bullied by anybody. And he's certainly never going to run out of steam. Bielsa doesn't put them through murder ball just for the sake of it. Leeds players are ridiculously fit. And Calvin Phillips might be the fittest of the lot. And he took control of that midfield yesterday and single-handedly began to drive England forward from midfield. Raheem Sterling was absolutely fantastic. England got level through an own goal. Good work between Saka and Kane. A nice ball from Kane in between the the centre-backs. Dreadful defending from Vestergaard. Saka gets onto it. Good ball across. Sterling is going to score. Kiar tries to intercept it. Puts it into his own net. It's 1-1. And the Danes then retreated back into their shell. Started inviting England on. Don't think they had too much fear of England. Don't think there would be too much to fear. But you were really hoping that Denmark could come out in the second half and really take it to them again. But they just never did. They never did. And on 67, the changes that they made handed even more of the initiative to England. We saw a great save from Kasper Schmeichel to deny Harry Maguire. We saw Jack Grealish come on. Had one or two flashes, but showed nothing really to suggest he was going to change the game for England. We get to full time. We go into extra time. It's a very tight game. England are on top. England are playing the better football. But the Danes look quite content to defend and defend and defend and get this thing to penalties. Harry, Harry Kane tries to win a penalty on the edge of the box. It's rightly waved away. He'd committed a foul himself and then thrown himself to the ground after minimal contact. We get a penalty for England when Raheem Sterling picks the ball up on the right-hand side, drives into the box, and then falls over. And that's what happened. He fell over. Mal doesn't make any contact. There is a Danish player, I think it's Jensen, who does make contact, but by the time he makes contact with Sterling, Sterling is already heading for the ground. It's a dive. Raheem Sterling has dived and he's won his team a penalty. And even ITV after the game said to him, was it a generous penalty? And he stumbled over his words. And you could tell he knew he hadn't been fouled. And then he said, he touched my leg. No, he didn't, Raheem. He hip-checked you. The guy that actually touched you, touched your hip. No one touched your legs. You were falling over regardless. There's two more things to discuss here. Number one, there were two balls in the field. Now, it makes no difference. But by the rules of the game, the game should have been stopped. As Sterling drove down the right, there was a second ball that he ran within two yards of, and the game should have been stopped. That's just the rules of the game. I don't make them. 
but someone should enforce them. Secondly, as Kasper Schmeichel lines up to face Harry Kane, someone shines a laser in his eye, or in his face. I don't know if it hit his eye, but they shone it in his face. Now, England have been charged over this today. Uh, England have been charged for two separate matters. A laser pointer was directed at Kasper Schmeichel during the semi-final, just before Harry Kane took the penalty. And the second thing is they've been charged with causing a disturbance after setting off fireworks during the Danish national anthem, which is just very disrespectful. I assume it was the fans that were setting off fireworks rather than the FA or anyone to do with the actual team. Uh, but it is very disrespectful. I don't know how much the laser bothered Michael. He seemed to complain about something after the penalty. Now, he saved the penalty. It's a very, very bad penalty by Harry Kane. It's a really bad penalty by Kane. It's very central. There's no real power behind it. Schmeichel saves it easily. Credit to Kane. He follows up and he, he gets the tap-in rebound. Uh, and he puts England 2-1 up. But, number one, two balls in the field. Questionable. Number two, it's a blatant dive. A blatant dive. One of a number of blatant dives by England on the night. And number three, the laser thing is just in bad taste. It's a scummy thing to do. So hopefully they find the person responsible and bar them from ever setting foot in a football stadium again. Now, with all that said, England deserved to win the game. England were the better team. Raheem Sterling was the best player on the pitch by a substantial margin. I think Phillips was probably second best. And I think they've been England's two best players in this tournament. Saw a lot of talk last night that Harry Maguire has established himself as one of the great English defenders. Tripe. Tripe. John Stones and Maguire, is this the best English partnership we've seen? Nonsense. <laughs> Nonsense. Not even the best potential English partnership now. Pickford set a record for the longest an English goalkeeper has ever gone without conceding a goal. Congrats to him. Um, that record was then broken by Damsgaard, but it, it is what it is. Congrats to Pickford. That's something he can put in his locker. He won't win any trophies at Everton, so he can put that in with that. Um, England deserved to win. There's no doubt they deserve to win, and they deserve to be in the final. I thought it was weird that Grealish was taken off. Like, if you're trying to control and see out a game, Grealish is exactly the type of player you want on the pitch because he'll keep the ball. If he's going to lose the ball, he'll just dive. It's what he does, and he wins free kicks because referees buy it. Kane will do the same. Sterling will do it. It was weird to take off Grealish. England will face Italy. Italy have been the best team in the tournament, but they're going to be without at least one, maybe two starters. Spinozola's out. Chiesa could be out. England will be at full strength. Now, I've seen some people suggest that Declan Rice should come out of the team for Jordan Henderson for the final. I've actually seen more people suggest that Phillips come out, uh, which is nonsense because Phillips is the better player. Of the three of them, he's the best of the three. And he's had the best tournament by quite a distance. 
I don't think you start Henderson in a European Championship final. Number one, he hasn't played a full game in midfield in about seven months. Number two, he hasn't started a game of football in near on five months. Number three, this is a huge game. And in the three biggest games of his career, World Cup semi-final, two Champions League finals, he hasn't played well. He hasn't played well. He said he had two poor performances in those Champions League final uh, Champions League finals, and his performance in that World Cup semi-final bordered on embarrassing. It was that poor. I think he's better off if you're going to bring him off the bench. Bring him in off the bench, twenty to go. Whether you want to see out the game or or you need some force in midfield, then you bring him on. You don't start him, especially not having been out for so long. The Italians are going to present an enormous rise in class compared to what England have faced. I mean, Denmark are the best team they've played so far. And nobody expected Denmark to win, other than maybe Danish people. Uh, We all might have wanted them to win, but they didn't. People will expect Italy to win. Now, England are the early bookies' favourites. Now, being at home, being the higher-ranked team in the FIFA rankings, all of that will play into it. Um, the lack of Spinozola, I think, will factor in. The potential lack of Chiesa. These things will will be part and parcel of why the bookies will lean towards England. But as of right now, I think you have to make Italy favourites. Now, Italy have had a harder path to get here. Get here. Italy have had a much harder path. If we're, you know, the, the group's about even. They're about even. I'd say Switzerland and Croatia are about, about even. Turkey were dreadful. Now, that they should have been better. But I'd say Wales and Scotland are about even. So the, the Czechs did better in the tournament than the Turks. But the Turks had, had better players. Um, in the knockout stages, I mean, they've played Austria, Belgium and Spain. England have played Germany, the worst German team in over a decade, Ukraine and Denmark. There's no doubt Italy have had the harder path to get here. Now, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Number one, they're used to playing really good teams. But on the flip side of that, those have been tough games. Those have been three very tough games to get here. England haven't had that. Last night was the toughest game. But like I said, credit to them. They went behind. They got their act together. They came back. And they won the game. And that's all that matters. And while Raheem Sterling might have dived for the penalty, it's not necessarily a bad thing either. England could do have been a little bit more cynical. Now, blatant diving is one thing. The Harry Kane flops. The Grealish, you know, jumping and grabbing your ankles when nobody's gotten near them. Those type of things bother me. Things like what Sterling did, that's part and parcel. It's a dive, but it's a dive for a purpose. It's a dive to get a direct opportunity to score. I'm going to take a break, nice early break. And when we come back, uh, no Twitter questions because obviously I'm still off Twitter. But we do have questions from Discord, so we'll get to them. See you in a minute.
Right, welcome back. Uh, before we begin the Discord questions, some news from Newcastle. Federico Fernandez, Jacob Murphy and Dwight Gale have all signed new contracts and the club have taken up options to extend the deals of Paul Dummett and Fabian Schaar. They've all, they all have a thorough understanding of what it takes to play for this club, said Steve Bruce. They've all made excellent contributions over the years. Excellent contributions. I would suggest Dwight Gale has not made excellent contributions. Not in recent years. He was brilliant the year he was in the championship with them. He's a brilliant championship striker. Brilliant championship striker. His last two seasons in the championship, 16-17 and 18-19, one with Newcastle, one with West Brom on loan. He scored 23 goals. The time before that he was in the championship, 2012-13, he scored 13 in 29 in half a season with Peterborough. He'd been at Dagenham and Redbridge for the first half of that season uh, in League Two, jumped into the championship and um, and scored 13 goals straight away. Worth noting that only a year before that, he'd been playing in the Conference North with Bishop Stortford. 42 goals in 55 games uh, is one season there. On to Dagenham, half a season with them. On to Peterborough, half a season with them. Palace snapped him up. He did okay with Palace in the Premier League, but when he went back then into the Championship, he really took off with Newcastle. Uh, he's a great Championship player. I think he struggles at the Premier League level. If I was him, what I'd do is I'd sign one-year contracts every year with a really good Championship team who's looking for promotion. Get the highest possible wage you have. You'll score for fun. If you help them get up, make sure that's written into your contract that you get a nice bonus. Go and do it again. And become a journeyman. But a journeyman who wins promotion nonstop. Um, important for the tune, I think, to keep these players because they're unlikely to spend huge money this season. They don't exactly have a squad brimming with immense talent. So, you know, a reliable centre-back in Fernandez, a versatile player in Murphy, a reliable centre-back in Shar. Dummett I would have let, let leave. I, I think Dummett is... I think, again, he's he's more suited to the Championship than he is the Premier League. He's had a lot of injuries as well. And I just don't think the Premier League is really the level for him. Um, right, we have uh, Discord questions. Now, first things first, there is a question off Twitter sent to Guy by Steve Smith. What would be the best starting eleven? and manager from the four semi-finalists and with five subs um, from these Euros. Okay. Italy, Spain, England, and Denmark. Okay. I'm going to play a 4-3-3. I'm going to start at the front. Chiesa, Kane, and Sterling. Now, in Kane's case, I'm very much basing it on what he is as a club player rather than an international player. Though credit to him, against Denmark, that was the best performance we've seen from him in these Euros. 
Um, that would be my front three. Chiesa, Kane and Sterling. In midfield, you know Busquets is in. I'm going to go Verratti and Barella either side. Luke Shaw is the left back. Right back is tough. I mean, Spinozola is obviously gone. He would have been an option at right back because he's right-footed, but he's he's gone. He's injured. I'm not a huge fan of Kyle Walker. I'll play Mal at right back, Joachim Mal. Uh, it, at centre-back, it has to be Bonucci and Chilin. It just has to be. Individually and as a partnership, they're still the two best centre-backs in the tournament. And then the goalkeeper. Donnarumma hasn't been brilliant in the competition. Unai Simon's been good, but had that absolute shocker of a moment against Croatia. I'm never picking Pickford. And Casper might have had the best tournament of the four, but he's clearly not the best goalkeeper of the four. It's one of Simon or Donnarumma. Because he saved the penalties, I'll go with Donnarumma. So as an 11, I get Donnarumma, Mao, Benucci, Cialini, and Shaw as a back four. Barella, Busquets, and Verratti as my midfield three, and Chiesa, Kane, and Sterling as my front three. Um, Sterling ahead of of Insigne, I think, is fair. He had three incredible club seasons, and then this past season wasn't good for him. But I think he's got a real case to have been the player of the tournament. Um, Kane over Immobile. I think Kane is just a better version of Immobile. And I like Chiesa. So, it's the Italian shape, the Italian system, because Busquets is a, just a better version of Jorginho. Mal is a better version of Di Lorenzo. Shaw, I think, is better than Spinozola. Now, Spinozola was having a great tournament, but I don't think that represents who, who he is as a player. Whereas with Shaw, he had a fantastic season. So I think I'd go with him. It's the Italian shape, which means it's Mancini in charge. He is the best manager of the four of I don't think I don't think Luis Enrique is a Luis Enrique is a good manager. I don't think Southgate's particularly good. I do like Casper Hjumland. I do think he's a good manager. But I'll go with I'll, I'll go with Mancini. In terms of subs, I'll give Casper his nod based on the tournament and have him as my sub keeper. Jorginho, obviously, is one of the sub-midfielders. And I think Calvin Phillips deserves to be as well. I'll go in senior. I'm going to pick seven subs just because. So I've got two, two defenders, two midfielders, two attackers. Jorginho and Phillips will be my two midfielders. My two defenders... None of the Spanish. 
I think Andreas Christensen and old Slabhead are the two I'll go with. Christensen and Maguire. And then my two attacking subs. I mean, Foden didn't have a good tournament. Saka hasn't been great in either of his starts. Sancho only started once. I think Grealish has been a letdown in the last couple of games. Now, he did play well, obviously, against Germany when he came on, made an impact. Um, but I didn't think the game before was the Czech game. I didn't think he played particularly well. And he certainly wasn't good when he came on yesterday. Um, Insignia is one. I'll go with Yarzabal. I know he didn't have a great tournament. But that's that's who I'd go with. Because he can play wide. He can play through the middle. So Donnarumma, Mal, Benucci, Cialini and Shaw. Varela, Busquets, Verratti, Chiesa, Kane, Sterling. And then on the bench, Casper, Christensen, Maguire, Jorginho. Oh, you know what? I left Pedri out. Yeah, sorry. Oyarzabal, you lose out. I'm going to pick Pedri because he can play midfield or attack. Pedri has to be in the squad. Um, Christensen, Maguire, Jorginho, Phillips, Pedri and Insigne. And I'm happy enough because... Chiesa or Sterling can play to the middle if something goes wrong with Kane. And Mancini is the manager. So I hope that answers the question, Steve. Thank you very much for sending that in through Guy. If anyone else has questions in the future, you can send them to Guy. Plague him with questions. Plague him with the stuff. Um, right, on to the Discord questions then. So the first one is from KMAC of the Cop. So... We were discussing on the Discord the other night... Uh, it was last night, actually, um, about Curtis Jones and the development of Curtis Jones and what he could mean as a Liverpool player moving forward. There's obviously a number of Curtis Jones camps. There's those that think he's not good enough. They're wrong. They are wrong. He's clearly a very good player. There's those that think he's brilliant. And they're wrong because he's not. What he is is he's a talented young player. We don't yet know what he is. We don't know if he's going to be great. He has the talent. He has the attitude by the looks of things. He has the right, the right drive and demeanor. But there is a school of thought that maybe Jurgen Klopp isn't the right manager to develop him right now. Dortmund's Jurgen Klopp, who played 4-2-3-1 and had creativity in abundance in midfield, centre midfield and his, and his number 10 spot, is a different animal to the Jurgen Klopp we see now at Liverpool. So this this version of Klopp, you know, he's he's happier to have his talentless grafters in central areas, whereas that Jurgen Klopp used to stick them in wide areas. Talentless is wrong. Less talented grafters, I suppose. Like Kuba and Grosquitz used to play in, in wide areas for him at Dortmund. Um less talented than the rest, but would graft and graft and graft. At Liverpool, Henderson and Milner. Less talented than the rest, but we'll graft. We'll run all day. We'll do exactly what they're asked. Very professional. They'll fill that role. Um, and he obviously plays 4-3-3 now rather than 4-2-3-1. In a 4-3-3, there isn't a natural position for Curtis Jones. He's not naturally a number eight. He's more of a 10. 
if you're playing 4-4-2, you'd play him off the left rather than central midfield. If you're playing 4-3-3, I think the best position for him is probably off the left of the front three with freedom to drop back towards the midfield, but not necessarily part of the midfield. But Jurgen Klopp doesn't operate that way. Jurgen Klopp plays a flat three in midfield. Um, and Jones isn't a brilliant fit. So the question I was asked by KMAC of the Cop was what managers would be better fits right now, theoretically, to develop Curtis Jones. So if we look at the Premier League table from last season, Actually, it doesn't matter. We can look at it from any season. Look at it right now as it stands. Arsenal. So they play 4-2-3-1. And you could picture Curtis as the 10 with Saka to his right and Smith Rowe to his left. That would be a very potent, well-balanced 3-0. Curtis and, and Smith Rowe can swap roles. Curtis can go left side. Smith Rowe can come central. But you wouldn't necessarily put your faith in Mikel Arteta as a coach. We're yet to see any evidence yet that he's a particularly good coach. Um, Dean Smith at Villa. I mean, we've seen growth from Jack Grealish, but we've also seen him play Jack Grealish on the left of the front three because he doesn't trust him in midfield. He has used him as a 10. I think he's improved Jack Grealish quite a bit. I think Dean Smith would be a contender. He's clearly not a better manager than Jurgen Klopp. That's not what I'm saying here before anyone gets all upset. But he might just play a style that is better suited to getting more from Curtis and developing him over the next year or two than Jurgen Klopp. Um, don't know enough about Brentford yet, so I'm not sure. Brighton, absolutely. Graham Potter, as one of the two behind the number nine in that 4 3 2 1, I think Curtis would thrive. Graham Potter is absolutely on the list. Sean Dyche is a no. Tuchel is a potential one, but I think Tuchel might try him as a false nine. Tuchel's a very good development coach, very good for attacking players. Funny that he came to Chelsea and immediately made them uber defensive when his trademark is he's a great attacking coach. Vieira, it's too early to tell. It really is. But, I mean, Alise from the right, Jones is a 10, and Eze off the left behind a striker. That could be fun if he's going to play 4-2-3-1. Rafa at Everton's a good one. Rafa massively improved Steven Gerrard when he started using him as a number 10. What Rafa's brilliant at is getting across tactical knowledge, developing players from a tactical point of view. So I think Rafa would be one. Under Bielsa, in that 4-1-4-1, you could potentially use him from the... No, you couldn't. He wouldn't fit under Bielsa. Let's not even pretend. He doesn't fit under Bielsa. Um, Rodgers sometimes plays 3-4-1-2, so he could be the one behind the two. They're quite loaded in the, those positions, though. Like, Thielemans can play there. Madison plays there. Barnes can play there. So, I don't think there'll be minutes there. Pep, I mean, I trust Pep with any attacking player. I, I think he always improves attacking creative players. I don't think he improves defenders as defenders, but I think 
I think Pep would do a good job with um, with Curtis, even though they play four three three as well, and even though he'd probably use him as an eight. I just think Pep focuses on different things than Klopp. Focuses more about on the ball rather than off the ball, and I think that will improve Curtis. Um, Oli, I mean, he does play four two three one. I think he does deserve some credit for how we've seen Greenwood and Rashford come on, but I think a lot of that is down to just natural progression. Uh, Steve Bruce would be a no. Farka at Norwich is a yes. We've seen what he's done with Cantwell and Emmy Buendia. I think he would do really well with Curtis Jones. Norwich would definitely be a club that if Liverpool were looking to send Curtis Jones to, Norwich would have to be on the shortlist. And when you see how well he used Oli Skip last year, different type of midfielder, obviously, but how well he developed him, that Chelsea have had the fate to give him Billy Gilmore, I think I think Farkett is definitely a safe choice. Hasenhutl plays the box midfield. Similar mindset to Klopp, similar approach to Klopp. Hasenhutl would be an, an, an option because of this shape. Stylistically, he'll develop them similar to how Klopp would, but because of this shape, he'll develop them more in a natural position. One of the two advanced midfielders. I would say Nuno is a no. Don't know enough about Watford yet. Moyes does enjoy a 4-2-3-1. But I don't think he's a Moyes type 10. Moyes, in my view, either wants... Moyes wants a runner off the ball. Moyes wants the ball to go wide. That's where Moyes wants his teams to progress the ball, in wide areas. Not in central areas, because Moyes is always afraid of the turnover. If you lose the ball in central areas, there's an easier path to goal for the opposition. So Moyes wouldn't be one. Bruno Lager, maybe. Maybe. He did wonders with Joe Felix. Now, obviously, Curtis is not Joe Felix. He's a different type of player. Not the same level of talent, I don't think. But he's got a reputation as a good development coach. He spent a long time as a youth coach and an assistant manager. He is a training ground coach, first and foremost. So he'd be one to consider. But I think that the best ones would be Farka at Norwich. Rodgers, if he didn't have so many options, you would always trust Rodgers to take on an attacking talent and do well with them. Rafa, I I would just trust because I've seen what Rafa can do. Now, Curtis is no Stevie, but Rafa loves that number 10 spot. And before Stevie, he developed Pablo Weimar. Again, totally different type of player. And again, I don't think Curtis is that level of, of talent, but... Different styles, Rafa can make it work and will will shift how the team plays accordingly. So I think Rafa could make it work. And Potter. They'd be at, and Smith. So they're they're my top four. Smith, Potter, Rafa, and Farka, with a nod of the cap to Rogers, who definitely could, but he's got so many options there at the moment. Whereas with Everton, I don't like any of their number ten options. Um with Brighton, they've got some good options. They do have Alexis McAllister who's probably a bit better than Curtis, but I think it's an option. Norwich is probably the best of the best because they don't have anyone currently playing in that role 
after the departure of Buendia because the player they brought in, uh, Rashika, is a different style of player. You could play Rashika on the right, Cantwell on the left, and him as and Jones as the ten. I think that as a three behind Timo Puki works. So that's where I would send him as Norwich. All things considered, I'd send him to Norwich because he won't go to Everton, obviously. Um, but Rafa would be a great manager to get hold of him. Right, uh, we have a couple more. Uh, from Frank Owen, if Great Britain were in the Olympic football tournament, what would the team be? I know it's academic as it's not happening now. But who do you think are the best under-23 players in England, Scotland and Wales, plus two overage players? Right. So what I did was I thought the best way to answer this is to look at players who didn't play at the Euros. Because you want to be fair. You don't want to have some fella who's just come from the Euros. Now, unfortunately, I did have to cheat then because of that. Because otherwise there was going to be no Welsh players. Because I... Looking at under-23 options for Wales, it's a little bit grim. It's not great for Scotland, admittedly, but the, the good ones for them were in the Euro squad. Gilmore, Turnbull, people like that. Um, but I did manage to get one Scottish player uh, who wasn't at the Euros, and I have one Welsh player who was at the Euros. So... Goalkeeper, I went for Freddie Woodman. Um, now, actually, I could be wrong about this. I think he's 23, but he may well be 24 now. Let me see. Freddie Woodman is... Ah, he's 24. Right. The alternative option to Freddie Woodman plays for Stoke City. Joseph Bosick, Is that his... Bursick. Joseph Bursick. Um, very, very talented goalkeeper. He would be the one I'd go for. He's been captaining on the 21 level. He's played all the way up from 17s. Very, very talented. Only turned 20. Um, oh, sorry, he's going to turn he's going to turn 21 next week. Uh, Joseph Bursick would be the goalkeeper. My back three are all 23, so they count. Esri Konza, Ben Godfrey, Mark Wehi. Three. Absolutely excellent young defenders. The reason I haven't picked Fikayo Tomore is because I don't yet know what his uh, international plans are. He may well decide to play for Canada. He could play for Nigeria. I know he's been capped, but he still has the option of changing. And there's been a lot of talk that he could change his... Uh, international allegiance and go with a different country. So we'll see. Um, Tomori should have been in the England squad for the Euros, though. Um, but it's four great defenders that England have coming through. Konza, Godfrey, Tomori and Gwehi, whichever way you want to use them. As wing-backs, I went with Max Ahrens as my right wing-back. I did consider cheating a bit and getting another Scott in by going with young Patterson of Rangers. Um, but Aaron's is just a better player, so th it had to be him. Um, left wing back, Aaron Hickey of Bologna and Scotland. Very, very talented. Was that Hearts? I don't know how he escaped Celtic as a young player, but they've been trying to buy him for about four years now. Um, again, they're trying to buy him this summer, but by all accounts, Bologna won about 10 million. He can play left back, 
he might end up in midfield. He's a very, very good young player. Um, my midfield too. I've gone for Ampadu because I couldn't think of another Welsh player to put in. It's it's pretty grim, I have to say. It's pretty grim. And I think Ampadu's really good. I know he had a, a disappointing season with Sheffield United. He had a weird Euros. I think as a holding midfielder, I think he, he's potentially very good. Um, the other two of my midfield three are the Leicester duo of Harvey Barnes and James Madison. Now, I think I'm right in saying Barnes is 23. If he's not, I've done myself here. I think he's 23. Harvey Burns is 23, yes. That's fine. James Madison will be the first overage player that I have in the team. Um, They know each other. They're both very creative players. Burns and and Madison will both get you goals. And I think they'd run them up at the Olympic level. And then up front, I went with Mason Greenwood um, and Danny Ings as my second overage player. I thought Danny Ings would be a solid pick here. Now, there's plenty of other options. You could have gone... Uh, I could have gone with Dwight McNeil. I did consider McNeil as my left wing back, but I thought I'd better put a Scott in there. Uh, Tanganga would be another option. I think he's he's very good. Um, I like Todd Cantwell. I think he's a fine player. Eberichi Ezzi, but again, don't know what he's going to do at senior level international. But yeah, that is my team. Woodman, Konza, Godfrey, Gwehi, Aarons, Hickey, Ampadu, Madison Barnes, Greenwood, and Ings. I think it's pretty good. We can put a Welsh or Scottish manager in charge to make up for the numbers. Um, But yeah, like I said, the the better talent that they had in that age bracket all went to the Euros, and I was trying to avoid anyone that went to the Euros. I had to pick Ampadu in the end because there was just nobody else. Uh, Pim Pime underscore Taradox. What chance is there that Robin Gosens is still at Atalanta when the next season rolls around? Seems a good fit for a few clubs looking for a good wing back. Yeah, he he absolutely is. I mean, if you're Paris Saint Germain, for example, and you've just signed Hakimi, I assume you're planning to play with wing backs. In which case, you need a left wing back and Robin Golsons will be perfect. Now, they've been linked with Theo Hernandez. And I think I'd probably go with Theo because he's a few years younger. But Golsons will be excellent. If Theo leaves Milan, Milan will need someone to replace him. And again, Golsons could be an option there. I had hoped that Inter would go from this summer I, I before we realized that they were going to get broken up. I thought he'd be a great fit. At Inter, I, I thought he'd be perfect as a left wing back. Um, I think he could play left back for City. Obviously, Pep lets his left back get forward quite a lot. We, we've seen Zinchenko and Canseo and uh, Mendy play there. I mean, would Pep go to a back three? I have no idea. If he did, though, Canseo and Gosens as wing backs would be a lot of fun. Even in a back four, as long as Rodri was willing to sit deep. Um, and form a three with Diaz and whoever, I think you'd get away with it. 
He's a top, top player, Robin Gosens. He really is. He's a late developer, but he's he's become a very good player. I really hope he stays there now. With, with the Inter move off the table, I really hope he stays at, at, at Atalanta because what they're building, what they have built and what they are building are, I think, special. I think they're the most entertaining club in Europe to watch, in my view. I think they're probably the best team in the transfer market when you consider everything. Consider the likes of Bastoni, Kulusevski, and Ahmed Diallo leaving for about 100 million while playing roughly five, 10 games between the three of them for the first team. And they brought in all that money. Like they sold off so many different players over the years. Frank Kessie, Gagliardino was there, uh, Caldaro was there, Andrea Conti was there. And they sold them all off at huge money and just continued to replace them. And when you look at their squad, they've just signed Juan Musso, who I think is a very good goalkeeper, uh, the Argentine. He's come in from Udinese. I think he's a very good goalkeeper. I think he's an upgrade at the goalkeeper position for them. Um, I wouldn't have been overly keen on, on Galoni. Uh, Sportiello or Rossi. Don't think any of them are particularly brilliant. Decent, like solid goalkeepers, happy enough to have them in the squad. Galini's probably the best of the group. Um, but even he's he's a little bit error prone for, for my liking. A little bit error prone. He'd be a solid number two. And then I suppose Sportiello's your number three. Behind Moose was number one. Now it may well be that um, Galini stays the number one and Moose is the number two. We'll, we'll wait and see on that one. Um, but at, at the back, then Christian Romero is tremendous, and they got him on a steal, a loan for two years with an option to buy him after twenty million in either summer. Uh, I believe they've made that option now permanent. Juventus took a loss on him last season. He was the best defender in, in Syria. Um, they've got a young Croatian called Bosco Sutalo, who's meant to be very, very talented. I didn't see enough of him last season. He seemed to always play when I didn't watch them. But by all accounts, a very, very promising young defender. Toloi is solid, unspectacular, but solid. Uh, Palomino, I'm not fond of. Jim City, I'm not fond of. But they've been linked with... Sven Botman, who he's a tremendous defender. Sven Botman is excellent. If they added Botman next to Romero, that would give them two thirds of a of a cracking defense. Um, and then Toloi would be the third. He'd be the other starter. He's the captain. Again, I don't think he's great, but he's solid. You know, he's solid. Um, as wingbacks, Hatabor. And Gosen's been great for years, but we've seen what Yaki Mal has done this season in these Euros, and they have him as well. So if he takes over on the right, then Hatabor is the third. It's great depth to have. Uh, in midfield, you're not looking at a lot of spectacular midfielders, but Freuler is solid. Darun is solid. Kovalenko, I think, can be more. Depends how they use him. I do like Pasolic. Doesn't play every game, but saw, but a quality player. Malinowski's decent. So they've got good options in midfield. 
And then up front, I mean, Zabata's been in great form for a couple of years. Muriel's been in great form. Ilicic is still there. I, I miss Pasina in midfield as well, by the way, who's had a good Euros for um, for Italy. They just have lots and lots of talent. And in Gasparini, they have a manager who knows how to keep the squad happy, how to use his team to their maximum ability. I think they're one of the most entertaining teams in Europe. I wonder, they've also been linked with um, Tian Cup Miners, who'd be very, very interesting. I'm not sure where they would use him. Maybe in midfield, maybe at centre-back with Romero to his right and Botman to his left. Could be an option. But if they get cup miners and Botman, they're just cheating at this point. Um, they've already had, you know, uh, the last couple of windows have already been pretty impressive for them. Um, in in January, they brought in Kovalenko for half a million, 700 grand, something silly. And they brought in Mal for like 10 million when... Teams were being quoted 15, 20 for him last summer. They sold Timothy Castanier for 25 million. He was their third choice uh, wing back, and they got 25 million for him. And they sold Ahmed Diallo for 40 million plus 40 million euro, which is about 35 million pounds plus add-ons. He'd played five games for them in total across a season and a bit. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, I've gone off on a tangent about Atalanta, but I, I must implore everybody, if you're going to watch Serie A next season, watch them. Just watch them. They're so much fun. They do everything so, so well. They've just uh, refurbished their stadium. It looks it looks really good now. Um and like they play in front of 21,000. So it's a, they're a small club. They're Bournemouth is what they are. They're Bournemouth. Their budget is Bournemouth. Probably less than Bournemouth considering Bournemouth's owners loaded. But yet they continually find young players, develop them, sell them quickly for huge money, and then go and buy players that will fit the team. They're brilliant. They're just brilliant. They're probably the best run club around right now. Um... Okay, last one. Uh, FAC 1977. Fix Arsenal for me. Jeff Bezos and I have bought the club and appointed you as head of football operations. You have a near unlimited budget with two big caveats. Jeff loves Mikel Arteta. Oh, God. So you need to give him at least 18 months. You also cannot exceed any individual transfer fee of greater than 75 million euro even though you can replace, buy out, buy whoever will come and go. Create a team that can achieve under Arteta, but will also be stocked for whoever may come in if he doesn't secure top four. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to force him to go back to the reason Arsenal brought him in. Arsenal brought him in thinking what they were getting was Pep. And he was credited with some of the tactical shift and tactical shape that saw Pep play that 4-3-3 that used to skew out to 
four two three. Uh, sorry, four four two. So I'm gonna make him play like that. So I like Gabriel, and I like Kieran Tierney. So I think I've got two thirds. Or sorry, half of my defense. Two 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 quarters of my defense. I also quite like this young Portuguese defender they've brought in. Um, the left back, Nuno. He's decent. So let me write this stuff down. Get my notebook out. So left back now I've got Tierney and I've got Nuno. I've been over some of this before, so none of this this won't be new to some people. At left side centre back, it's Gabriel and Pablo Mari will be his backup. Now, unfortunately, Arsenal are in the process of making a mess of Saliba, and it looks like the relationship between him and Arteta might just be too far gone. So we're going to rule him out. The relationship between him and Guendouzi is definitely done. Uh, Guendouzi's never playing for Arsenal again. He's on loan. He will be sold, I'd imagine, next summer. Um, they've made a mess of that. They've made a mess of the Mavropanos one as well. Arsenal have done really badly so far in this window. So I need a right-side centre-back and a starter and a, and a backup. And I'm going to have Rob Holding as the fifth centre-back. I'm happy enough with Cedric Soares at right-back. As a as a backup, but I want a starter. I don't like Leno, so we'll sell him. We'll sell Leno. We'll sell Bellerin. We might as well loan Saliba. We'll keep Tomas. We'll keep Gabriel. We keep Saka. We're going to sell Lacazette at his age with his contract running down. We're going to keep Torreira, uh, even as a squad player. He's going to be useful to us. Willian, we're going to buy out. He can go. Runner Alex Runnerson, uh, he can have a new job in, I don't know, an Amazon factory or warehouse or something. But he's certainly not a footballer. Aubameyang stays largely because he's the captain. We can't really get rid of him because his contract is obscene. Um, let me see. I don't think Arsenal need... I've said this before. I don't think they need massive amounts. I I really like quite a lot of what they have there. I think there's a lot of talent. For example, even with letting Lacazette go, I wouldn't sign another attacker. Because if I'm playing 4-3-3, I'm going to play Saka on the left so that he can play as an inside four, but also move to a left winger when I need him to. Nicholas Pepe is the backup for him. I've got Aubameyang as my nine. I've still got Eddie and Ketia, who it looks like will sign a new contract, and Fowler and Balogun, a very, very talented young striker. So they're my nines. I don't need another one. And on the right of my front three, I think young Gabriel Martinelli is an absolute star in the making. I think he's every bit in the same class of prospect as the likes of Smith Rowe and, and Saka. I think he's got the potential to be top, top class. And playing as a right-sided forward in that three, who then switches inside and forms a two with Aubameyang, I think is perfect for him. Um, 
in midfield, Partey. And I said before, Maitland-Niles would be my backup for him. I just think he can do a lot of the same things. Not to the same level, obviously, but he's still a good player. I'm keeping Torreira, even as a squad player, because I like Torreira. And I'm keeping Joe Willock as a squad player. Because I'm saving money. Even though I've got Jeff Bezos' money, I'm going to save it. Hope he gives it to me in a nice bonus check. Uh, Smith Rowe. So what I need, what I need for Arsenal is to be for a 23-man squad. Three keepers, two right-backs, two left-backs. Uh, sorry, 24-man squad. Five centre-backs. Six across midfield. I've got seven up front. What is it? Is it Guy, is it 25 or 26 a standard? 25? Uh, I think it was 25 during COVID. It might be 23 now. I'll go 25 then. So I've got... Yeah, that's fine. I'll I'll go twenty two plus three. So backup keeper, holding, and Balligan. That's my outside three. Um, but what I need, I need a starting goalkeeper, a backup keeper, a starting right back, a starting right centre back, a backup right centre back, and a starting defensive midfielder. So I need six players. Now, I know they're they're a long way down the line with Lakonga. So maybe we just sell Torreira as well. I wouldn't have Lakonga as a starter. I don't think he's ready for that. So maybe we just sell Torreira. So Leno goes, Bellerin goes, say 20 million each, 15 million each if we can get it. Uh, we'll say 30. We'll say another 30 for Lacazette gives us 60. Uh, 15 for Torreira gives us 75. Less the five, we have to pay William to go away. Elneny, he's a squad player. I would keep him for the sake of it. Klasnich can go. We get, what are we getting? 15 million for Xhaka. So what's that? About 90 million? Plus loan fees for Guendouzi, Mavroponis, and, and Saliba. Let's say it's about $100 million and you're going to give me some money to spend as well. Um, I would go Max Ahrens. I, I've all, he's the kind of default pick for me at right back, but I think he's very, very good. I think he's good going forward. I think he's improved massively defense, uh, from a defensive point of view. Good quickness. Gives you real width. And with Smith Rowe playing down that right channel, he's going to want to play narrow, even when we go, if we flip flip to 4-4-2. He'll still want to play narrow, which means you want someone that will overlap. So I think Max Ahrens is the, is the right back. Normally I pick Rajkovic as my goalkeeper. Because I think he is a potentially elite-level goalkeeper who can be had at a very affordable price. That's my logic on it. I, I think you look at the skill set, you look at the age, and you look at the club he's playing for, and I don't think Stad Reims are going to ask for a massive amount of money. He's only 25. He'll be 26 in October. 
I still think he's the goalkeeper I want, so I'm going to go with him. Now, as the backup keeper, you don't want to spend a whole bunch of money on a backup goalkeeper. Because that's just... It's just a waste of money. It is a waste of money to spend, you know, 20, 25 million on a backup keeper. Only foolish clubs would do that. But if I look at those who are out of contract next summer and maybe try and get a bit of a bargain somewhere, I mean... Young Diogo Costa, Porto, maybe at 21, bring him in with the idea of developing him. Mattia Perrin at Juve, Juve not exactly flush with cash. Maybe he'd fancy a new a new challenge. I do like Strakosha, but he wouldn't move to not be starting. Onana would be the one because. He can't play for half next season. But again, you're just creating problems, I think, by bringing him in. Um, let me think. Do you know who I'll go for? Is he still... Let me see. The keeper I will go for... I'll go Vlaklik, the Czech keeper, um, Thomas Vlaklik. He is a free agent having left Sevilla. He's 32, so he's towards the tail end of his prime. Don't think he'd be too demanding to start, but would get plenty of cup games, get some league games. I'll go with him. He's on a free. It saves money. He's experienced. He's vocal. I think he can help Rajkovic develop. That's who I'll go with. Um, he's a decent keeper as well. Like he's, He had a really good Euros behind not the best defence in the world. See, the one I would, would have considered actually just replaced him at Sevilla, um, Marco Dimitrovic. He left Ibar on a free... He would have made sense, you know, to come in along with Rajkovic. They know each other from the, the Serbian setup. But, um, yeah, I'll go Rajkovic and Vaklik. They'll be my two. At right side centre back, Nikola Milinkovic is kind of the standout name to me. Contract running down, big, big unit, 6'5. Quick, good in the air. Some focus issues maybe that need to be addressed. But I think he's got very, very high ceiling. I think him next to Gabriel could be very, very good. So I'll go with him. I think 25 million probably gets him. So that's 50 between him and Aaron's. 15 for Rajkovic gives me 65 spent. I do need that backup 
right side centre back as well. Now you could consider potentially um, using Callum Chambers there or holding there, but I'm not a big fan of either. I still think Saliba is the one for that role. And even when he comes back, like I think you'd look at even considering a back three um, because he's a very, very good young player. But in the meantime, I would probably... He's not that good. Do you know who I do like? I do like Jan Lasumi. Uh, what do you get? He won't, he won't get a work permit. He won't get a work permit, so forget about that. Um, hmm. Kind of stumped me now. I'm going to go with someone who's experienced, who can fill for a couple of seasons until a point that I can bring, um, that I can bring Saliba back to the club after. So I've been told I have to give Arteta 18 months, which means that January of 2024, 2023 rather, I am firing Mikel Arteta unless he has won the league. Um, that's just <laughs> that's just how it's going to be for for Mister Arteta. I'm going to go with John Anthony Brooks. I think he's an underrated centre back. He's left footed. Of course, he's left footed. This is the sound of someone dying a death. Do you know what? Matthias Ginter. Matthias Ginter is out of contract in 2022. He can play both centre-back spots or holding midfield. So I'm going to go for Matthias Ginter from Borussia Mönchengladbach. He'd be my third centre-back. Milinkovic and Gabriel starting. Him and Maria's death holding Callum Chambers still knocking around because he'd never leave. Um, I reckon with a year left in his deal, you probably get him for 15 as well. That takes me to 70 million. And then my holding midfielder, um, I think Chimani. Chimani uh, of Monaco. I think he's the choice here. I think he's brilliant. He had a tremendous season for Monaco last year. He's only 21. Huge, huge amount of potential to develop. That's who I'll go with. So what I end up with then, as uh, as a 25-man squad, Rajkovic, starting 11 and, and depth. Rajkovic, then Aarons, Milinkovic, Gabriel and Tierney. Smith Rowe, Chumeni, and Partey as my starting midfield three. Martinelli, Aubameyang, and Saka up front. Vaklik, Cedric Sores, Ginter, Mari, and Nuno. Willock, 
Laconga, Maitland-Niles, Nelson, and Ketier, and Pepe, and then Holding and Balogun to round things out. Holding Chambers and Balogun to round things out. That's my 25. Um, yeah, I, ho- I hope that's okay. I hope that answers the question uh, to a decent level. Um, I think that's it. We will then quickly wrap up with the gossip. 90minute.com choosing to tell you all lies again, saying that Chelsea are prepared to bid up to 150 million just to get your clicks. They're not going to do anything of the sort. Pep Guardiola says the club cannot afford a striker at the price has been asked. There's more chance they will not buy another forward. Uh, This is the same news we saw yesterday. Oh, it's the Mail reporting it now from somebody else to back up their own story. Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti says he has told the club he would like to sign Richarlison. No, he hasn't. No, he has not done anything of the sort. Uh, Chelsea midfielder Jorginho says there is... Oh, sorry, his agent says... The agent of Chelsea's Jorginho says there is interest in the Italian international, but he would be keen on discussing extending his contract. Agents are great. They couldn't be any more transparent with their lives if they tried. Arsenal are interested in Leon and France midfielder Hossam Auer, but would need to sell a midfielder first. They've had long-held interest. I'm surprised he's still there. Everton will not let Moise Keane leave on another loan after he spent the 2021 season at PSG. Good. Keep him. Keep him and use him. Keep him and use him. You need another striker. Uh, Marcel Sabitzer could be available for about $17 million. Uh, again, 19minute.com, making stuff up. Now, he may well be, but that's not their story. That's a story they've stolen that was out about a month ago. Did it on the gossip here. Uh, 19minute.com pretending to have sources. They know nothing. Um, Paris Saint-Germain appeared to accidentally confirm the signing of Sergio Ramos by publishing an article on the website prior to the official announcement, which was expected today. Who cares? Uh, Wolves have agreed a deal to sell Ruben Vinagra to Sporting Lisbon for $8.6 million. Doubt they have. Doubt they have. Uh, it's from Football Insider, so you can guess it's probably trash. He may well go, but I doubt anything's been agreed yet. Tottenham are looking at Sassuolo defender Mert Mulder with West Ham all set to be interested. I'm going to say no on that one. I don't think that's going to be true. I, I think that's maybe them putting out word that would, they might move on from current targets if deals can't get done, but I doubt it's true. He's not very good anyway. Uh, Southampton are confident of signing Adam Armstrong from Blackburn. For a 10 million fee plus add-ons, he'd be a very good signing. Gives you potential successor to Danny Ings. Tottenham will let Troy Parrott go on loan for the season, rightly so. I would say try League One, though. I think even at the moment, Championship might be a step too far from League One. Or maybe send them to the continent to a league a little less physical. Belgium, um, even, even the Netherlands. One of those leagues, I think, will be more suiting to him right at this moment. Middlesbrough are in advanced talks to sign Atletico Banfield player Martin Piero, who is a member of the Argentine squad for the Olympics. I um, I don't know anything about him. I'll be honest. I have no idea. But again, it's from Football Insider. So, you know. But then, it, actually, it's been reported in many other places. Teesside Live also carrying the story. Uh, doesn't look like he scores many goals. He might just be a box-to-box kind of player. But 
Look, he's obviously highly enough rated if he's in the uh, Olympic squad. Julian Nagelsmann says Leon Goretzka is an important player and he would be happy to work with him at Bayern for many years. Yeah, well, tell your bosses to sort his contract out then. AC Milan will raise their offer to Frank Kessie as they try to get him to extend his contract. I think that's a good move. I think you need to keep hold of him. He's a, he's a very good player. And finally, Italy defender Davide Calibra has agreed a new contract with Milan, which runs to 2025. Solid fullback, plays both sides. You wouldn't get overly excited about it. He's a squad player at best, I think, when Milan are going to be a serious team. But good to keep him around, homegrown as well. Came through the academy, knows what the club's about. That's it. That's the show. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.